We'll look at the very beginning of Matthew 18. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? He called a little child to him and placed the child among them. And he said, truly I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you'll never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever takes this low, the lowly position of this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me. If anyone causes one of these little ones, those who believe in me, to stumble, it would be better for them to have a large millstone hung around their neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. Woe to the world because of the things that cause such people to stumble. Such things must come, but woe to the person through whom they come. If your hand or your foot causes you to stumble, cut it off, throw it away. It's better for you to enter life maimed or crippled than to have two hands and two feet and be thrown into eternal fire. If your eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out, throw it away. It's better for you to enter life with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into the fires of hell. Let's pray this morning as we dive into God's Word. Father, this morning we're struck with your timing as we encounter this passage in the book of Matthew that reminds us to emulate children on the week where we raise to the surface the amazing young men and women who are part of our youth ministries. We want to be a church that supports the next generation. And at the same time, you remind us in this text that we need to look at the next generation as an example of what we need to become in our walk with you. We pray for those who are going to middle school and high school camp this summer that it would be an amazing transformational time that as they walk along the road talking about spiritual things and as they sit with their counselors like Zach and so many others as they go to bed at night and have conversations as they fall asleep as they wake up and go to chapel that you would be so present to them that they would grapple with and encounter the living God we pray for VBS in a couple weeks that would be an unbelievable outreach for our community as so many churches partner together to bring the gospel to our city. Our hearts are heavy for young people this morning. We think of Orlando and the 50 that were killed this weekend in this hate crime. And I think of the words in this passage that woe to anyone who causes the little one to stumble. People who are young in age are young in spirit or far from you or struggling through life to have their lives cut down by someone. I pray for the families of those people who passed away. Pray for the community around whoever this shooter was. And I pray that the church of Jesus Christ would rally around the communities of faith that we would rally around the gay and lesbian community of Orlando that 
your church would be a church that brings hands of healing and love and hope and reassurance and the words of life and gestures of life when death is so evident and fragrant in a city. We pray that we would be that here, that we would be a church that reaches out to the youth, we would be a church that reaches out to those who are marginalized or far from churches generally, and that we would be known by the love we have for each other and the love that we have for the world that you came to die for, to seek, and to save. You tell us in this passage that we need a change if we're going to enter the kingdom of heaven. I pray that we would see what that change is, that you would give us the courage, the faith, and the sight to make it, that we would encounter you in that moment. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Some of my most memorable moments were at summer camp. It was August of 2000, and I had an experience at summer camp that changed me in a lot of ways, all simultaneously. I was in the middle of a worship set. We were up at Alliance Redwoods, and there were like 300 people in the room singing and going forward, receiving Jesus. And, and, and as I'm trying to sing, I'm realizing in that moment that something amazing is happening. And if you've ever had an experience where you just need to get alone and be with God, you know what I'm talking about. It was one of those moments where I just had to get alone to be with God. And so while everyone was singing, I turned around and walked out of the back of that chapel and and I found myself in a beautiful summer night. And if you're from the Bay Area, you're from California, you know that it's pretty rare in Northern California that it's warm and dark at the same time. And so the whole night just kind of felt like this miracle where the stars were shining, but the air was warm, and I could hear the faint sound of singing from the chapel behind me as the doors closed. And I found this bell tower with a redwood bench underneath, and I, I sat on this bench as I listened to worship, and I thought, God... You're doing something in my life at this camp. I, I can't even put my finger on it, but I know right now that you are real. I know right now that I don't know what I'm doing, but, it, but if you can continue to work through me, God, please do. I would love to be someone that you use in mighty ways, and, and I've gotten glimpses of that in this last season in my life, God, and, and I don't know how to proceed, but I just pray, God, that you would do amazing things through me and in me and around me, that whatever is happening in me would just stick with me, abide with me. God, I want to be used greatly in your kingdom. Have you ever prayed a prayer like that? And sometimes our, our prayers are more along the lines of, where is God? Right? But there's other seasons where our prayers are resonating. We're saying, God, this is great. Keep it up. I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know if I'm doing anything right, but you're doing something right here, God. Keep working in me. This is unbelievable. As we look in Matthew 17 and Matthew 18, it seems like the disciples are going through one of those great seasons of ministry. And we saw in Matthew 17, the disciples were up on the Mount of Transfiguration and Jesus started glowing. Remember that? And Peter, uh, Peter's there, James and John, and then Moses and Elijah show up and and they get to encounter Jesus in a way they've never seen him before. They get to realize that he is God in the flesh. There's something unbelievable about Jesus. He is a king that is magnificent. They come down off the mountain and they find this boy that's suffering. He's demon-possessed and no one's able to help him. But Jesus just casts out the demon like it's nothing. And the disciples say, Jesus, how come we couldn't cast it out? You did that so easily. And Jesus starts to explain to them that he's starting a kingdom. He's going to die, but he's going to rise again, and he's going to start a 
kingdom. And the disciples, as they walk with Jesus during this amazing week, are likely reveling in the fact that the kingdom of Jesus Christ is unbelievable. They're just catching glimpses of it, but they want more of it. And so as they walk down the road, the disciples start talking about themselves, talking amongst themselves, saying, hey, which one of us do you think is going to be the greatest in the kingdom? And a lot of times we read the disciples sharing words like that, and we think, oh, man, these guys were so arrogant. And the disciples are so prideful. They're arguing about who gets to be the greatest in the kingdom of God. Come on. But I want us to take a moment and think about the fact that the disciples were probably arguing about something that was kind of admirable. Right? If this was any other kingdom, right? if this was a corporation they were talking about, you imagine you go to your boss and you say, listen, I, I love this organization. I love this organization. And I want to devote my life to this organization. I want to see myself go up through the ranks. I want to help run this place. I just love the mission of this place. And I want to be inextricably linked with its leadership for the rest of my life. And you ask your boss, how can I do well here? Your boss would probably say, wow, I'd love to give you a pathway towards success here. I'd love to help you learn what we're all about here. I'd love to promote you here. Here's some things you could do. Here's some things you can read. Here's some places you can go. Here's some classes you can take. I love that you want to do great in this organization. But the kingdom of God seems different. You're not supposed to get promoted in the kingdom of God. You're supposed to be humble. And Jesus is kind of pitching this confusing kingdom that's unlike any other kingdom in this world. Any other kingdom, you'd want to get promoted. Any other kingdom, you'd want to get power. Any other kingdom, you'd want to serve at the top, right? You want to lead in that kingdom. But, but how do you grow and thrive and lead and be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? What do you give to a God who has everything already? How do you serve a boss, Jesus, keeps insisting on serving you. How do you go to Jesus and say, Jesus, I want to do great things for you when you know you do nothing great on your own and he's the one who does the great things through you. It's a tricky organization, the kingdom of God. Because it's so upside down in everything. And so on one hand, these disciples are arguing about who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom. But on the other hand, that's a real question. How do you advance in the kingdom of God? And if you've ever had a prayer like I prayed at summer camp that one year, how do you get to the place that God is doing great things through you and magnifying what he's doing? It's not about you, it's about him. How do you see him work more and more? How do you become a great servant of Jesus Christ? So these disciples finally come to Jesus. And in the first verse of Matthew 18, they ask him, who then is the greatest? in the kingdom of heaven. And Jesus answers them by bringing a little kid up. He says, hey, come here. And brings this little child. And while everyone's looking on, he says, I tell the truth, unless you change and become like this little guy, you're never going to enter the kingdom of heaven. Anyone who takes the lowly place of this child will be great in the kingdom of heaven. And any who, anyone who welcomes a child like this in my name welcomes me. He says the secret to growing and thriving in the kingdom of heaven 
is found in this small child. What would you have thought if you were there? You ever think that? You ever read the Bible and think, what would it be like if, if I was standing there? If a little kid comes trudging out from among us and Jesus says, this guy. Right? I feel like I would be like, what? A kid? I can't picture any organization that would thrive being run by children. Can you? But imagine, <laughs> imagine a company where every executive position is filled by a child. I mean, that would be illegal, wouldn't it? You can't do that. Right? Kids aren't supposed to work nine to five. They're not supposed to be burdened like that. Kids aren't supposed to have to think that deeply, be burdened with work. They're supposed to play and have fun and explore. Right? Kids are supposed to be kids. They're supposed to learn. They're supposed to grow. They're supposed to be inquisitive. They're supposed to experience life. They're not supposed to be shackled into the work world. And, and Jesus says, this is who's going to be the leader in my kingdom. I'm creating a child labor force, in a sense. But he's not saying that my kingdom will be entirely comprised of children. He's saying it's going to be entirely comprised by a leadership of men and women who know how to become like children. I don't really know what about children Jesus is advocating here. I mean, honestly, one of the reasons I would never hire a child to work in my organization is that kids are pretty dumb. You know that? Like my three-year-old, he can't even read. The other day, my car was all dirty, the gas was low, and I told Carter, he's uh, six, I said, Carter, or he's eight, excuse me, he's seven, Carter's seven, I know my ages of my kids, <laughs> I've got so many kids, uh, I said, Carter, here's the keys, go fill up my car with gas and wash it and bring it on back, and he's seven, he's like, I can't drive, I'm like, what? Jesus said, you're supposed to be the leader of this family, right? <laughs> right? I asked my nine-year-old to help me with my taxes this year, he just stared at me, like he didn't know what he was doing. Kids are kind of dumb, really. <laughs> Why would Jesus say that you have to become like that to lead in his kingdom? I mean, can you imagine a child firing someone? Right? Like sitting behind a desk. Send him in. <laughs> it's like, Frank, you're just not cutting it here, right? <laughs> Kids don't have the emotional wherewithal to be able to lead at a high level that we would require in any of our organizations. And yet Jesus says, unless you cha change and become like a child, you'll never enter my organization, my kingdom. And anyone who takes on the lowly position of this child will be greatest in my kingdom. A lot of times with scriptures like this that don't really make sense, we just kind of brush them away. Say, oh, Jesus, he's always saying crazy stuff. <laughs> But I'm haunted a little bit by the way that Jesus describes it. Because unless you change and become like a little child, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Right? This is something that if we just say, ah, we discard it, we lead, we live like the kingdoms of this world lead and live. Jesus says, you won't even enter my kingdom. You're so far from me, I don't even know you. Jesus says, there's a secret to finding me in this truth. And there's a secret to growing in me in this truth, that the secret to leadership in spiritual, the spiritual kingdom, a secret to entrance into God's kingdom is found in this child 
of that standing before them. So we've got to figure out what this means. I, I try to picture what, what it would be like if one of my kids was called out by Jesus and brought before him. You, know, you, you don't notice children very often as you read the Bible, and yet evidently they were there. Right? In that century, and kind of today, children are meant to be seen, not heard. Right? You think of the passage where the children keep trying to come to Jesus and the disciples stop the children. And Jesus says, whoa, 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 whoa. Don't stop the kids from coming to me. The kingdom of God is made up of such of these, right? Jesus was the only one in those days who was elevating children. Everyone else looked at the kids like they were a nuisance. They had nothing to offer. They're just trying to keep them alive until they can be real members of society. And yet Jesus said, no, 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 the secret to growth and existence in my kingdom is found in these kids. So look, look at them and, and listen to them. My kids are not extroverted. They're kind of, uh, <laughs> I don't want to say anything bad about my kids. I am a socially awkward person, and my kids seem to have, my kids are not extroverted people. And, and so if Jesus, if my kids were standing out there and Jesus said, hey, hey, come here, I wanted to use you as an example, right? My kids would be like, Right, like hiding behind their mom, and so would I, right? And imagine if Jesus brought one of my children out there, and I was one of the disciples. And I said, listen, you guys need to change and become like this little dude. At first, I'd be offended. Right? I'd be like, seriously? Jackson? You know I taught him everything he knows, right? <laughs> he is like... 15% of me. And so if he, if he is fit for your kingdom, certainly not me, who is Jackson even more developed, can be a fit servant for your kingdom, right? At first, I feel like I would push back and say, Jesus, why would you look at the children? They have nothing to offer. But as Jesus kept talking, and I kept standing there grumbling, and chances are pretty quickly I would say, I get it. I get how kids are way better than us adults at serving God. I think I've got six kids at home. I've got four kids who probably would be in this age bracket that Jesus might be calling a kid out for. And, and so I kind of spend some time thinking through what it would be like if he used each of those four kids as an example in the midst of that community. Right? Jackson is our oldest. He's nine. He's going into fifth grade next year. And and imagine if Jesus brought Jackson out and said, listen, unless you change and become like Jackson, you'll never enter the kingdom of heaven. And after I got over myself, I, I would probably, I'd probably say, you know what? Jackson is so focused and driven. Like, he's really into the warriors right now. <laughs> Who isn't? Uh, but, like, in a supernatural way, right? Like, he knows stuff about the warriors. He shouldn't know. Right? Like, I went to him on, when was the last game? Was it Saturday? Friday? Friday night, and I, hey, Jackson, is love starting tonight? He's like, oh, yeah, he's back. His concussion is cleared. And I'm, and I'm thinking, like, how do you know that? Like, you don't have a TV. You don't have a device of any. Like, how do you? But he knew, right? He was right, sure enough. Right? And he's got all these basketball cards, and he collects them, and, and he kind of lines them out and tries to figure out. He puts them in order of who's the best basketball player. He's got, like, a metric for that somehow. I feel like he's the next, like, money ball guy or something, right? He's just, like, has them all out. When he's wearing his jersey and his hat, he got New Warriors beach towel he used with his allowance to buy. And he's, like, all in, right? He's just, like, his mind is just focused on that one thing. I haven't told him I have a meeting on Monday night yet, and I'm going to miss the game. But he'll watch it without me, and he'll probably figure out a way to text me somehow updates throughout. 
I remember a couple years ago, I, Jackson had learned to read, and I said, hey, now that you know how to read, you, you should learn how to read the Bible. You should wake up early in the morning sometime and just read a chapter of Scripture. Here's a little assignment. Read a chapter of Scripture, try to figure out what's happening, and then just write a prayer. Think of something you could pray about as a result of what you read. And if you do, I'll give you a marble, right? <laughs> It sounds kind of messed up. Like, which of you, if your son asked for a dollar, give him a marble? That was me. Uh, marble is like the currency of the strange household. We're on a marble economy. I can explain that to you later. And I say, hey, read, read this, and I'll give you a marble. And, and so the next morning, I'm downstairs reading my Bible, and Jackson comes down, scampers down, and, and I say, hey, did you do the assignment? He's like, yeah, I did it. So I said, well, what did, what did you read? And he said, I read Acts chapter 4. I said, isn't that the story of Ananias and Sapphira? He said, yeah, yeah, I'm like, oh, great. He started with Ananias and Sapphira. And so I said, okay, well, as you understand it, what happens in the story of Ananias and Sapphira? He's like, well, Ananias was a boy, and I love that he thought that he was a little boy, right? Like, everyone in the Bible is his age. Ananias was a boy, and he sold some property, which in Jackson's, Jackson's story world, boys can own property, which is cool. He sold this property, he, he took the money, and he was supposed to give it all to the church, but, but he, he lied, and, and he held some back for himself, and so God killed him. I'm like, yep, that's, <laughs> that's what happened, you got it, man. He's like, then Sapphira comes out, and she lies, so God kills her too. I'm like, yeah, okay, cool, yeah, that's it, you got it, man, great comprehension, uh-oh. So, what did you pray about? <laughs> after you read the story of Ananias and Sapphira. And Jackson said, I prayed that God would give me and my friends the courage to do what is right, even when it's hard. I'm like, I never got that out of the story of Ananias and Sapphira. I read Ananias and Sapphira, I'm like, God, I thank you that we don't live in the first century. Right? Jackson, like, there's something about the focus of a child that he can see what Jesus is trying to bring out. And so often my mind is going a thousand places at once. And with kids, man, they're so into what they're doing that they get it. Like Jesus says, I speak in parables so that those who want to get it, get it. You know who gets parables? Kids. And we're all stuck up in all these details. The kids get it. So if Jesus brought Jackson out there, I'd be like, oh, Yeah. <laughs> I need to have a focus on the kingdom, like Jackson does. Our youngest two of the four that Jesus might have called out are Hudson and Brady, and they're crazy. Like, they're crazy. We call Brady uh, the frat boy. He's three. He always, not because he's big into beer or anything, but he, he always, uh, he looks like it, right? He's got this big belly, and he never wears a shirt. He's always in these, like, basketball shorts, and he walks around with, like, a couple juice or something. It's like, hey, right? So we pray for him in college. And Hudson is a little bit older. He just finished kindergarten. And we call him Crazy Little Hud because he's crazy. Right? Every time we take a photo of Hudson, we try, have you ever, if you've got kids, you've tried to take a family photo before, forget about it, right? So we, Hudson always looks like he's going to take a good photo. But the moment, somehow miraculously, right, the moment you hit the shutter, it looks like someone electrocutes him. So it's like, all right, smile, one, two, three, right? Every time, every time, every time. Like last night, last night, Jessica and I put the kids to bed, and we come downstairs, and immediately, right, immediately, we hear, boom, ah! 
right? Oh, no, what happened? And I go upstairs, and Hudson's, like, laying on the floor, like, ah, right? I'm like, Hudson, what happened? I fell out of my bunk bed. I'm like, oh, Betty, did you just, like, tumble out and hit your head? He's like, no, I was reaching off the, he doesn't talk this much like this, but exaggeration. I was reaching off the side, and, and I fell a little on my head. I'm like, wait, you were reaching off the side, like, and you fell and landed on your head? Like, did you land on your hands? Like, no, just straight on my head. I'm like, how does that even happen, right? You're like, your hands were already out. And I don't know. I don't know. He's crazy, right? Brady and Hudson are always trying to prank everybody, right? When you're three and you're trying to prank people, it's hilarious, right? Brady, this is gross. Don't tell the first service I tell you this, but... <laughs> When I, Brady will come to me anytime, like, Dad, I have to poop. I'm like, great, poop, right? Do what you need to do, right? And, and then he'll be in the bathroom, and I'll say, like, Dada, Dada, Mama, 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 Mama. It's like, oh, no, what's happening in there? It's like, not, and he always locks the door. He's three. What, what's going on in there? He's like, I love you so much. Like, <laughs> like what? I'm crazy. So I picture, what would it be like if Jesus brought crazy little Hud and, and Brady up and said, unless you change and become like these guys, you'll never enter my kingdom, right? I... I would think, what? <laughs> and I think, you know what? My kids are so fun. They're so pure. They're just bouncing around. They love everybody, right? I'm so boring. <laughs> Picasso said that all children are born artists, and the trouble is to remain an artist as you grow up. I look at these kids, and I'm like, man, these kids, they're coloring, they're making stuff, they're making forts, they're having a great time. I've lost it. I can see how that would be such an asset in the kingdom of heaven. And Jesus called Carter out, and Carter just finished first grade. And he said, unless you change and become like Carter, you'll never enter the kingdom of heaven. I would just get it immediately. Carter is so inquisitive, he asks a hundred billion questions about everything. And sometimes I feel really bad. The other day I, t I told Carter, Carter, you, you've got to stop asking questions. You're gonna, Daddy's going to go crazy if you keep asking questions. Right? I said, Carter, before you ask a question, just stop, listen, look around, and most of the time you can have your question answered by what you see and hear. Right? So he'll come out and be like, ah, what's in the oven? It's like, just look in the oven, you know, right? Questions, 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 right? And, and it gets so annoying. It's like, stop asking questions. He wants to be a scientist when he grows up because he wants to just, like, study bugs and find out more and ask questions. Like, oh, good, do that, do that. It's funny, I, I think of the disciples in this passage, and I feel like they would have gotten a lot farther if they asked more questions. Right? Like, they asked Jesus questions about pretty weird stuff, like, who gets to sit at your right hand and your left hand in the kingdom? Whatever, like, okay, good question, I guess. But in chapter 17, Jesus says, I'm going to die, and then I'm going to raise to life and establish my kingdom. And the disciples are like, okay. And then they walk away, they're like, what is he talking about? Like, I don't know. What do you think, right? They, if Carter was one of the disciples, right, and Jesus said, hey, just so you know, I'm going to die, raise to life, and, and then I'm going to start a kingdom, Carter would be like, um... How long are you going to be dead? <laughs> what do you mean you're going to race to life? People can't race to life after they're dead. They turn into bones and the worms eat them. Are, are, are the worms going to eat you? Then you're going to come back to life? Is that what's going to happen? 
Right? Or the worm's not going to eat you? Or you're going to be a... I know this because these are the kinds of questions Jesus or Carter asks when we read passages like this. Like, did the worms eat Jesus before he died? And then, no, the worm, right? If Carter was there, he would have said, what do you mean when you say you're going to raise a life? No one's ever done that before. Can you help us understand this? Question, 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 question. And they wouldn't just be arguing along the road of like, I don't know what he's talking about. Let's just talk more about who's going to be the greatest when Jesus comes into power, right? The question. And as an adult, you have to feel like you got it all figured out. Well, a lot of ask questions. You might ask a dumb question. You don't ask a dumb question. Right? So you sit in a small group and you discuss something. You're thinking, I have no idea what these people are talking about. And Carter would ask a question. You wouldn't. I wouldn't. I'd be like, oh, yeah, I get that. Yeah, of course. Right? I'll Google that later. Right? <laughs> I mean, if Jesus brought Carter up and said, unless you change and become like this little guy, you'll never enter the kingdom of heaven, I'll be like, oh, geez, I told him to stop asking questions the other day. I want to be inquisitive like that. Sometimes when I, when I think about my kids, and, and everybody's kids are different, right? That's what I love about this passage. Jesus doesn't say, here's the attribute of childlikeness you need to emulate. He just brings up a kid and says, become like this kid, right? So we can read this passage and say, oh, he's saying you need to humble yourself like a kid. But that's not what he's saying, right? He's not saying emulate the humility of a baby. That doesn't make any sense, right? He says, you need to get off your high horse and learn something from this little tyke here. You need to be humble and emulate them in how I've made them. And so the beauty is that Jesus leaves it open to help us, to let us wrestle with what does it actually mean to become like a child? Right? If you put your kids in this scenario, right? if you've got a little brother or a little sister, if you put them in this scenario, you probably see something different, more than just focus or fun or inquisitiveness. You'd see purity of children. You'd see the, the love that children so graciously give out without realizing it's dorky to tell someone they love them, right? You'd see all these different attributes. And I feel like if a little kid read this passage, he'd say, ooh, I want to discover what it means to be a kid. But for us as adults, we say, that doesn't make any sense. Right? This week, maybe your assignment needs to be to just think through all the children you know and say, God, what do you mean when you say I need to be more like this little guy or this little girl. When I think about my kids and how God has made them uniquely and what I can emulate in their lives, I, I, get, really, I get really excited to have little kids in my house, but honestly, then I get a little sad. Because I know that everything that makes my kids amazing little kids is, is not going to last. Right? Carter asking questions. Picture a kid going into third grade and asking questions to his teacher. Oh, I want to say this. Oh, I read this the other day. Oh, can I do a report on this? Oh, right. The other kids are going to start heckling him until he realizes you don't ask questions. It's bad to want to learn. Don't be the teacher's pet. Right? If, if Brady decides that he wants to show his kindergarten teacher someday that he loves her, and so he makes her a little bouquet of flowers and comes up like little kids do and say, I got you this flower, teacher. He will be mocked relentlessly by his peers. <laughs> until it kills the spirit inside of him, right? HUD shows up. Someday we're going to have a parent-teacher conference about little HUD or little Brady, and the teacher's going to say, I think you should have your kid tested for ADHD. <laughs> There's some medication they can put them on, and they won't be so crazy all the time. Our society is really good at taking the childlikeness out of us, isn't it? Some of you think back to when you were a kid. You're like, man, I was awesome when I was a kid. I had a friend who called himself Big Five when he turned five. Like, that's awesome. Who does that? 
Or then you turn a teenager and you like, just want to fit in. You don't want to make waves. You just want to be cool. You don't want to show any like, energy going this way. And so you just turn into like, I just, I just paralyzed, right? And the real you's in there and you feel like you can't let it out. No one knows you, right? But you can't tell anyone. And, and eventually you just learn how to fit in and put on a suit and go to work or whatever you do. Do you have any friends who still act like kids? Sometimes I think church is supposed to be boring. Like you got the fun, kid, fun friend who like talks to everybody. He's throwing a party at his house, right? And you're like, hey, man, like we're Christians now, dude. Like here's some Ritalin. Come to our Bible study. Let's just calm down. Let's just have a discussion, right? You're always talking. Like you have a friend who goes to Starbucks. And every time you go to Starbucks, your friend's just trying to talk to the barista for hours, right? Oh, tell me about your life story, right? Like just order your latte. Let's get out of here, right? You go to a museum and they talk to the docent forever and they end up inviting the docent to your house. Like, what do you, why do you make friends with everyone? You're crazy. Right? You got the friend who gives money to every homeless person you pass by and you're rolling your eyes. Like, are you serious? You don't have to be nice to everyone. Just give it a rest. And we do that to each other. And someone becomes a new believer and we just kind of squash them, right? Stop talking about Jesus all the time. It's weird. We don't have to pray every time we hang out. It's weird. We don't have to talk about this all the time. It's weird. No one wants to hear what you learned at the sermon. It's weird. Just be normal. Be an adult. Jesus says, I I tell you the truth. Anyone who causes one of these little ones to stumble, it would be better for them to have a boulder tied around their neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. That's what I'm going to do to anyone who causes one of these little ones to stumble. So if you want to enter the kingdom, you need to learn how to be like one of these guys. If you want to be great in the kingdom, become like this. If you want to learn how to receive me, learn how to receive this. Learn how to turn your faith into a childlike faith, not away from a childlike faith. On one hand, I think there will be a lot of great work in the discovery that we each do to figure out what does that actually mean. On the other hand, if you want a clue of where you can start in discovering what it means to have the faith of a child, look to Jesus. Jesus is the best example of someone who is magnificent and glorious and adultish in all those different ways, wise, infinite, amazing, and he humbles himself and he becomes a baby. He becomes a child physically. And we look at how he lived. Think of, the, of Paul as he writes Philippians. He says, Jesus was God himself. He was his very nature. He was divine. But Jesus didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped. He humbled himself And he made himself a servant and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. That one of the things that Jesus did to become like a child is he learned to obey. We're always trying to teach our kids obedience. Jesus says, if you want to be one of my children, you need to obey me. Live like you're my child. Do what I say. Right? You don't get to know the why. Just do it. Obey. Be humble. Don't think that you can run the world. You're just a kid. I run the world, Jesus says. Learn to be like my child and just do what I say. Be humble. Love people. Stick with your purity. Stick with your naivete. 
Keep asking questions. Never stop. Have the childlike wonder, the childlike energy. Go out into the world and love people as if there were no peer pressure, right? Just be out there. Be you and let God work through you. Be like my kid. Don't try to be an adult in my kingdom. If you think you've got it all together, you're never going to enter the kingdom of heaven. You need to realize that you are just a baby. You need me. And come to me in dependence and act as my kid and stay that way. For me in my life, one of the time I think I learned this lesson the best was when, when I first started having this season where God was calling me into ministry. I had this feeling that I didn't know what I was doing, which was true. But I had this other feeling that I had to figure out how to be like a real Christian before I'd be qualified to be a pastor. And yet I was open to anything, and so our youth pastor said, hey, you should come to fifth and sixth grade camp with me. And I thought I liked fifth and sixth graders. And I do now. I do now. But this was like the worst week of my life. Right? I was 19, and I just got called into ministry, and now I'm at the fifth and sixth grade camp, and I'm like, I really had these aspirations that I would be the best camp counselor ever. And so I wanted to have one-on-one -on -one time with my kids. I want to have great cabin discussions. I'm visualizing all this. And, and my kids wanted nothing to do with me. Right? I started out trying to be their friend. They didn't want me to be their friend. Then I tried the authoritarian thing. Like, hey, who do you think you are? I'm like, ah, I don't know. Right? And it was just terrible. My kids were bad. Like, they stole a golf cart at camp. <laughs> Those are true. I'll tell you that story later, too. They, one kid, one time, we went up to the ball field for rec. And, and he's a little kid, right? And so he... He puts his towel around his waist, and I assumed he had his swim trunks on under his towel. <laughs> but we get up to the ball field, and he takes off his towel, and he's just wearing his underwear at the ball field. I'm like, oh, what are you doing? Right? These kids were crazy, crazy. <laughs> I'm having flashbacks. I'm sorry. <laughs> so one of the second to last night at camp, we have decision night. And I'm like, you know what? I just did my best. I'm just going to pray these kids become Christians, right? And and so we go into the chapel, and, and we're sitting in a row, and I'm like, all right, this is it. I'm praying for my kids. Best counselor ever. Like, I was like Jesus. I suffered for them all week long, right? And, <laughs> and tonight they get saved, right? They better get saved. They need to get saved, right? And so I'm just like praying, God, just save these kids. Let them be so riveted by the sermon, right? And I look over, and my kids are laughing. They're picking their nose, right? They're drawing obscene pictures on the bulletin. I'm like, ah, right? Like, just hear the gospel, just hear the gospel, put away the pictures. And, and the guy says, if you want to become a Christian, come on forward, right? And one of the kids is like, you guys want to play basketball? It's like, sure, right? And they get up and they leave. I'm like, oh, geez, right? And I'm like, okay, this is not my deal, right? Like, I'm the worst youth pastor ever. I'm the worst intern ever. I'm the worst youth worker ever. Right? And everyone's like crying because their kids are all getting saved. And I'm just crying, right? <laughs> And people are like, man, Danny, why are you so emotional? And then your kids sit back. I'm like, I'm the worst, right? I'm the worst counselor. God's never going to use me. I'm terrible. I don't know what I'm doing, right? I'm going to bed. And so I go to bed, and I'm all bitter and crying bitter. And, and then the next night we go back to chapel, and I'm like, you know what? I'm done. Like, I'll pray for them, but it's on God now. <laughs> so the pastor's speaking, and I'm praying, like, and I look over and I'm like, my kids are praying too, right? And, and then one of them goes, <laughs> I'm like, you're sleeping? 
right? I'm like, and I just said, you forget it. Sleep. I don't care. At least you're not bugging me, right? So they're sleeping. The gospel's being proclaimed. Just sleeping through it, right? And the pastor's like, hey, if you want to become a Christian, raise your hand. And this kid's like. <laughs> and I'm like, dude, did you have a dream about Jesus? <laughs> He's like, no, right? He starts crying. He's like, I've been living my life all wrong. I'm like, you're 10, man. He's like, I need Jesus. I need you. And the other kids in the camera are like, we do too, right? They all start crying. I'm like, what is happening here? Right? And they all get up and they go forward and they're all praying. And, they're, I'm, and I'm standing there. Everybody's singing, right? And I'm just standing there like mesmerized while everyone's singing. thinking, what just happened in this room, right? So there's 300 people singing in this room and, and I can't sing. Right? It's one of these moments where I'm like, Something is happening here. And so I turn around and I wade through the sea of worshipers out the back door of the chapel. And I remember walking into this beautiful, warm summer night and, and the stars were above me. And I found this bell tower with this redwood bench under it. And I sat down and I said, God, I have no idea <laughs> what happened this week. I just showed up and I sucked at everything. But you did something. Like you, I, I don't know if you would have done this if I wasn't here. <laughs> but even if it just means that I get to watch you do stuff like this for the rest of my life, I'm all in. Right? I want Whatever happened here, I want more of this. right? And I'll figure out how to do stuff along the way. Just let me be along for the ride because I want to have a front row seat to the amazing work that you're doing. God, just keep it going. And in that moment, I, I didn't understand what I understand now. And then I thought God used me even though I had no idea what was happening. Now we look back and I think, I think God used me because I had no idea what was happening. I feel like the more I try to figure stuff out, the, least fruit, the less fruit I see in ministry around me. The most amazing things happen when I just simply obey. And we just do what God says. It doesn't make any sense. You're like, I'm not good at that. That's not my gifting. That's not my passion. That's terrifying. I'm just going to do it anyway. Who knows? And then you have this encounter and you share the gospel with somebody like, that went terribly. And then someday, like five years later, like, my neighbor came over, shared the gospel. Like, then? That's when you became a Christian? What? There's something that happens when we don't know what we're doing. We simply obey. We become like kids and we realize we don't have it all together, but we just go and play. <laughs> and we ask God to do amazing things. 